so sometimes um, when you hear like a new message or a new series or a new, even just truth that maybe is not very fresh, um, man, it's kind of paradigm shifting. You know, it's really hard to approach life in Christ the same um, after you hear that. For me, that was like the first time we sat and heard Star Beer talk about Elijah House stuff and just inner healing and was the first time I, Travis gave me some Jack Frost sonship stuff. I was like, gosh, I don't, I don't think I'm allowed to approach my faith the same way anymore because <laughs> it was so good. Um, and so I just want to share with you guys a couple things. Um, for those of you who know me well, I'm not a big note taker. I took like four legal pages of notes in <laughs> two sessions, so... <laughs> It was pretty awesome, <laughs> to say the least. I just wanted to share with you all a couple of things they put out there that really kind of stuck and had weight on my heart and mind. And one thing, too, is and they even talked about this, how when people share a testimony that Holy Spirit has really birthed in their lives, you know, there's weight to it. I mean, you can tell when you're, when you're sitting there listening to these people. Like, if I talk to somebody about, like, how the Lord beats depression's rear end, like, people are going to, like, feel that, you know? These people, it's obvious how, like, the Lord has done this in their life. Wendy Macklin was hilarious. Essentially, she said she, she's like a self-proclaimed Debbie Downer, just, like, naggy. I mean, she was saying, this, she's like, I was nagging all the time and just stressed out, striving so hard all the time. And now she's just, like, hilarious and laughs at everything. So the testimony is real. And, um... First thing they kind of brought, talked about was, I just really felt the Lord really asking me this, like, Jesse, do you believe in the power of life in your tongue? Do you believe that you can speak life into things? Really? You know, do you really believe that? That when you speak into something, that when you share, that in the same way that we're made in God's image, and when the Spirit was hovering over the deep, you know, waiting, just waiting on the Lord, waiting, waiting, waiting. God said, let there be light. He spoke. You know, that when we speak, we are made in the image of that creative God, and that we speak life. We are able to bring that which is dead to life. We are able to speak life over things that are dry or dead, including ourselves, and it's really important to do that. So that was the first question I felt like the Lord just really harping on me, saying, Jess, do you really believe this? You know, I know you can write a paper about it. Do you believe it? You know, <laughs> does your heart believe this? Um, another thing they said that I love so much, um, they said, religion celebrates perfection, but family celebrates progress. Both sessions were full of this. I mean, I got four pages, so we, I mean, and um, so they would just talk about how, man, if you're making progress in something, like, declare it. Like, declare it as it's going to be. Like, I have complete victory in Christ over whatever, you know? No addiction holds me to, you know, the line. Only Jesus does. Um, hold on one second. Let me flip the page. Another one. I thought this was so good and like, duh, but man, it was so good. Um, it says, we get saved because we believe in Jesus, but we'll get freedom where we believe like Jesus. And just thinking like Jesus and believing like the way that Jesus believed. Um, they shared a testimony of 
just the difference, well, the absolute difference in trying to uh, get someone to act like Jesus. I don't know maybe what your experience was um, the first time you encountered Christianity. I encountered a lot of religion growing up, um, and in the bad sense, not the true sense that James talks about, but just kind of shallow, hollow, you know, surface level stuff. And I felt like they were constantly trying to get me to act a certain way. Um, But the problem was that I didn't believe God was good, and I thought I sucked too. So (laughs) that didn't make my actions very, uh, well, that's where they came from. So a lot of times, instead of spending so much time trying to get someone to change their behavior, their actions, if you change the beliefs, um, the actions will follow because you cannot consistently do what you don't believe you are. You know, if you don't believe you're a man of purity, then you won't stay pure. If you don't believe that you are a beautiful woman, then you will likely always have a tendency to see yourself as, you know, whatever, too ugly, too short, too anything, you know? Uh, I got one more down at the bottom. This was so good and so uh, challenging for my soul. It said, my hopelessness about a problem is, is a bigger problem than the problem. And, you know, I, I know, right? Thank you, Lord. Wow, great word. Happy to reshare it. <laughs> Somebody go home and tweet that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they just they kind of unraveled how in their lives they began to see in their own hearts and their own lives and the people they ministered to that there's no hopeless circumstances, only hopeless people. Once people get true hope, transformation follows. And so I know for me in my life, it wasn't, um, I'll specifically speak to depression and going through that season of just highs and lows and lots of lows and staying lows. Um, it wasn't a matter. I wanted to change. I knew Elijah House. I had great pastors and friends and mentors who encouraged me and hugged me and, you know, cried with me. But transformation comes when you, when you get hope. When you say, and we have a living hope. And so when you encounter the face of God, when you, when you see Jesus and you're reminded of, wow, this is a living hope. This hope is alive. This wasn't a hope that happened for me. This hope is now, you know? That is when transformation followed. I didn't, I didn't work super hard. You know, like orange trees don't strive to bear oranges. They just do. You know, I don't have to strive to be joyful. I am. That's the way I was made. So anyways, if you get a chance, their stuff is really solid. And I say that not because they're uh, good speakers. You, you can tell that the Lord's done a work in their lives. He's transformed their lives from the inside out, transformed them as people, and the wisdom and revelation that they share about how powerful our declarations are over ourselves and over our community. Um, I'm pretty sure Holy Spirit's not going to let me think about <laughs> my life with Christ the same anymore. So anyways, it was, it was a joy to be there. God bless Stephen and Wendy Backlund. Yeah, one of my favorite nuggets was uh, babies don't get depressed. And so when they're learning how to walk and they fall the first time, they're not like, I'm never trying this again. And the parents aren't like calling the grandparents and saying, well, Bobby fell down again. No, they're saying, Bobby took two steps today. (laughs) 
And so, yeah. And so that's why the family celebrates progress. Religion celebrates perfection. And that's why there's not a whole lot of celebration in the religion. Because you don't ever get perfect until Jesus comes back. <laughs> so you're hitting your head against the wall all the days of your life in the religious environment. Instead of in family, you're celebrating progress. Hey, you know what? You know, I obey the Lord quicker than I did 10 years ago in the marketplace. Is my obedience perfect when he tells me to go? Like, I had somebody Thursday that I just kind of felt like I was supposed to jump on in the sense of tell him this. And it, but it was like I had like a five-second window. And I just went, and everything around me, it was loud. People were talking. Somebody was talking to me. Jesus don't care about none of that. And so, but I was just like, dadgummit. Then, I, you know, like a minute later, I was like, where is that guy? Ah, he's gone. All right, Lord, I fell down. I'm going to try again. In the past, I used to be like, Lord, oh, and I'd put on my burlap sack, and I'd throw dust in my face. But I realized I'm just a kid in the eyes of my father, and I'm learning. I'm learning how to ride a bike, and so God teaches me new tricks. So I've learned how to ride the bike, but he's teaching me how to do a 360 in the air with my bike. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm not, I'm not there yet. I can ride my bike, but I don't know how to do a 360 yet on there. And so it's just the progress. It's a journey. We celebrate the progress. But yesterday I was in Jittery Joe's, and I was getting a coffee, and as I was filling out the receipt, that's how we, I say it, receipt. And um, the Lord gave me a word for the guy making my coffee, and he says he's going to write books. And his life's work is writing. So I said, hey, man, anybody ever told you you're a writer? He's like, no, not really. I said, well, I think you're going to write books, and your life's work is going to be writing. And he was like, hmm. I thought I was about just to go back to my table and just do it, work on this sermon. And... Uh, He's like, you know, it's funny. Uh, next week I start training with Wycliffe Bible translators. <laughs> and I was like, come on, Jesus. Come on. Yes. I got stank face on that when I was walking around. I was like, mm, Jesus, come on. But I had, to, I had to be okay just leaving it right there. Just, if he was just like, oh, no. And then just walk away. But thankfully, Holy Spirit wanted to give me a little extra encouragement this time. So the guy told me about his plans. And so it's progress. And so whenever you realize you're operating in progress, all the pressure's off. I don't have to be perfect. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say, I don't have to be perfect. <laughs> say, God celebrates progress. Say, I celebrate progress. I celebrate progress. I celebrate 
Come on. And that's actually a key to what I'm going to talk about this morning, about building a culture of increase. God likes increase. These are some of the scriptures I talked about last week. But he, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves in the earth. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go, th- go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, that means, baby, it's a sure thing. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isaiah 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. That's a good declaration right there. I pray that for the awakening a lot of Sunday mornings. I just, look, I just declare, Lord, that your kingdom is increasing today. Your kingdom is increasing in the awakening in this city. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. Somebody say justice. Justice. Somebody say righteousness. Righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Not man's strength. So there's a new paradigm that we're operating out of. Our vision for the awakening is to operate as a family throughout its entire existence. The awakening is 15, 20, 30, 50 years old, however long the Lord wants it around. We want to operate as a family, okay? The government of heaven is family. There's a father. There's a son. There's a Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called your best friend. <laughs> and so you have, and then Jesus is also called our older brother. So they kind of just fill out the family paradigm and they defer to one another. Father God's like, listen, what I started in the, in the garden and that Adam and Eve messed up, I'm going to send my son to fix that. Jesus finished what the, what the father we had uh, Adam and Eve had broken, so to speak, even though God had already prepared beforehand to sacrifice Jesus on the cross on our behalf. But Jesus, was, when he was about to leave, what did he say about Holy Spirit? He's like, it's going to be much better that I leave. He's going to finish everything that I've started. And so the, the Trinity defer to one another, and they promote each other, and they like each other. They're in perfect unity. They think the other one hung the moon. Look at my son. Jesus is like, check out the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's like, I don't say anything except what the Father said. So as the family grows, so does the need for organization. And so last week I talked about how the awakening started off as a mom and pop church. Me and Jessica doing a lot of the stuff, and that's just the, that's the natural evolution of businesses and startups and that kind of thing. 
The second phase of organizations typically was what's called your engineering phase, and that's when the mom and pop start giving things away. And we, but we know who is doing what. And that's kind of like where we're at. And then the third stage is called multiplication and diversity. And that's where you have a bigger infrastructure, more organization. Me and Jessica don't even necessarily know who's doing what, which is a good thing. But there's, it's, uh, the family's growing, so the organization has to grow as well. Do we have any more roses, Toddy? Where is she? The most, yeah, let me have that. I'll take, there might be some more mamas walking here. I would. Diane Gay. Love you, Mom. We had all the mamas come up there. But. So as the family grows, so does the need for organization. So structure and organization are there to serve the family, all right, where organizations go off track, even businesses, is where what originally the purpose that that business or church was, was started for was now is trying to serve the structure. It's like, well, you have to do this, you have to go through these lines, even though it may be inefficient, even though it may be not relational. And uh, so you start straying away from the purpose and the, vi the original vision. Our thing is if the structure and organization stops serving the family, we want to get rid of it and find a structure that does. There's lots of different structures out there. And so we, uh, that's what we want to do. The bigger the family, the more organization it needs. So as an example, I did some research. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, this is a time flexibility chart. You'll see at the top, no kids. 100 equals total freedom and flexibility. You're no kids. You got a lot of, you may think you're busy, but you're not really busy. <laughs> I, we thought we were busy. But I, we were sleeping in at 10 on Saturday mornings. I'd go play basketball and I'd come home and take a nap and then we'd go to Central Market and have a date. Now, we have to plan dates two months out in advance. We have to email each other to get to communicate because we're like, we're not going to have a chance to talk tonight. We're going to be knee-deep in soccer. We're going to be knee-deep in counseling. We'll be knee-deep in whatever. So, hey, I got to shoot my end. I'm much better at writing than I am at talking sometimes, so... No kids, you're almost 100. You don't, you're not completely free. You're almost there. You get one kid, dramatic decrease. You're at about a 50, total freedom and flexibility. Two kids, another, poof. You're almost maxed out. Three kids and over. Two, per, two flexibility and freedom. So you got to, so this is, Another chart to help you understand. Your organizational need, no kids, very low. Lots of room for spontaneity. One kid, spikes, need some more organization. 
There's nap times. There's feedings. Two kids. I got two of those now. Twice the diapers. Twice the feedings. Two different nap times. Possibly. You're not napping anymore at this point. With the first kids, you could nap while they napped. It's out of the, it's no longer. Three ki- and two kids, you're wondering, will I ever sleep again? Is, am I doomed to five hours of sleep a night for the rest of my life or less? Will I ever get to sleep two hours in a row? You wonder these things. You, you, don't, you see a tiny pinhole of light at the end of the tunnel. It's only because you know Jesus. Three kids, you're like, I don't care anymore. Eat food off the floor. That diaper's got another four hours on it. So you, you can see three kids and up. You know, it's like you hit three kids, you're pretty, pretty much maxed out, but your organizational need increases the more we had, the more family you have. We have schedules to coordinate. We're in charge of three other human beings, and they have tiny people schedules. And now they send home stuff from school. I'm like, is there... Stop doing stuff at school. We don't need 20 parties. I don't remember having 20 parties. And so, you, it's, I think I've made it clear. You know, you got your flexibility and time. It's, it, you have to have organization as you get big, as you get bigger. All right, you just can't throw things together. I was very much, lived most of my life. Even when we had kids, I had to learn. I was like, ah, I'll take care of itself. I think guys think like that too. It's like, ah, it'll work out. And the, and the moms were like, listen, we got to go to the grocery store like now. I was like, I can't wait till tomorrow. No, we, and then they, they unfold a scroll of things that is needed. And it goes to the end of the room, and you're like, I didn't, I had no idea. We needed all of this. Okay. And then you learn, and you, you submit to your wife, and you, you just submit to one another as Christ does. And so you, uh, you learn, man. You learn. So the old model of structure has been in the church. It's definitely been in the business world, and you start off as an indentured servant, then you rise up to a minion, then you rise up to a subordinate, and then you get to be the boss. The boss is every, he's just the benevolent despot. Okay? And so what happens with that is in order to move up, this happens. To grow, you either kill the boss or you leave. How many of David's sons tried to kill him? You know, Absalom is like sitting at the city gates. My dad's a jerk. Follow me. You don't want my dad. Look how good looking I am. My dad's a jerk, though. Absalom, it said Absalom was really good looking. 
case that's why I threw that in there. But uh, so you you either and you've seen this in churches, you, people feel like they hit a ceiling. People in businesses feel like they hit a ceiling. It's like there's no room for growth. So you either try to uh, sabotage the boss or you leave and go somewhere where you feel like you can grow. Okay, this is, that's another thing we don't want to happen. So there's three types of old, co- old cultures we don't want here. The first one is the buck-up culture. You work harder and you knuckle down, and then you burn out. That's the buck-up culture. The second one is the suck-up culture. You suck up to the boss. It's an upward system where all the honor flows up to the top instead of honor flowing from the top down. That's the way Jesus' honor flew from the top down. The world system, honor flows to the top. And if you're down on the below, there's no honor there. Three is cover-up culture. If you don't cover up your stuff, you're out. So these cultures, and so what, I'm going to go a little bit more into the cover-up culture, but these cultures represent industrial relationships. Industrial, not family relationships. Industrial relationships. And industrial relationships are based off your ability to stay within the lines. It's based off your ability to perform. It's not based on progress, necessarily. And so progress is celebrated, like we, well, we talked about earlier. But the, if, you're, if you can't get from zero to 60 in this allotted time, then you're out. Or if you have a weakness, you're out. Instead of, if my child has a weakness, we're trying to work with them. We're trying to pray with them. Now, the only thing is, is if my, if my child wants nothing to do with that, I can't help that. And sometimes I'm like, all right, just going to have to learn the hard way. But as long as people are teachable, then we, we help people progress. We're not looking for perfection. I, I, I need people in my life they are not looking for perfection. They're looking for progress in Travis. And thankfully, we have people like that in our life. But if I expect my children, like I've said before, to ride the, their bike perfectly the first time, that's how you embitter your children. So in these cultures, you have to move up at any cost because if you don't move up, you're either, it will either kill you or drown you. So what's the antidote to these cultures that we're very familiar with? So the buck-up culture, the antidote is identity. You just, just got to do more. I got to do more. How many, that's one of the devil's favorite lies is this. You're not doing enough. You didn't pray enough. You didn't, ev- you didn't evangelize that guy when God told you to. <laughs> You're not reading your Bible enough. None of these things are bad. They're, they're, they're good. <laughs> they're good things. That's what the devil likes to twist things. The devil doesn't 
He knows the law of God. He doesn't know the heart of God. So he tries to get you to live by the law. I heard somebody say the devil is the best statistician in the earth. Because he brings up every time you fail to you. He keeps stats on your failures and brings them up to you. So the antidote is identity, knowing who you are. Part of Jessica and I's, so when, I'm going to read this and then we'll talk about convergence a little bit. If you want to serve me with your skills, and I'm not talking about me necessarily, I'm just talking about somebody else. If you want to serve me with your skills, then I will turn, I will in turn serve you with my skills. But the way we start that relationship is like, how can I help you, Casey? It's not like, Casey, what can you do for me? How can I help you? How can I help you? So especially when you're, that is the process of sonship. Jesus, God spent 30 years developing Jesus for three years of ministry. Jesus was getting prepared for three years. 30 years. Some of y'all are really young, and you're like, why hasn't God used me like this in my, in my life yet. It's because he's, he spent 30 years on his own son getting you ready, <laughs> getting him ready to save the world. You know what I'm saying? So, like, he's not in a rush like we are. He, he looks at time completely different. Each of you are like a tree. Some of you are oak trees that grow slow and thick, nice and steady. Some of you are bamboo trees where... The seed lies dormant for, for nine years, and then all of a sudden, poof, 20 feet tall in a year. Some of you are magnolia trees. Some of you maple trees, whatever. They all have different growth rates. They all prosper in different environments. We're trees. God knows that. He knows that. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly the timing that everything needs to happen. That's why Ecclesiastes says, God makes everything beautiful in his time. I've made some things ugly in Travis's time. I thought it was a good idea, and you're just like eating the consequences of your decision until you're like, Lord, please save me from myself. He's like, I will. I will. He's good. He's a good daddy. The suck-up culture, the antidote, is honor. That's why James says, don't show favoritism. He says, you honor the janitor just like you do the CEO. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, the least honorable parts are worthy of more honor. And what he's talking about is the parts of our body that we don't see, that are hidden by clothes and that kind of thing. You don't see my heart. You don't see my lungs. You don't see my liver. Without those, I will drop dead quickly. I can do without an ear. I could live without an eye. I can live without a foot. My heart's gone. It's over. So those less honorable parts, the things that are not seen, the people behind the scenes are actually worthy of more honor. That's how you... 
That's the antidote to the suck-up culture. The, co- the cover-up culture, the antidote is authenticity. One of the words uh, Marcy Fish gave the awakening is that she saw us at a masquerade ball where everybody had the awakening. At a masquerade ball where everybody had the masks on the stick and were covered up. And we would just come to people and we would just take the mask down. Take the mask down. We're just going around the party taking masquerade masks down. Because we, for me, I try to be all, I can't, not being authentic is way too heavy. <laughs> I'm going to like, I can't hide anything very well. Jessica knows, I mean, everybody knows if I'm struggling or, or not, you know. It's just because I just was not made that way. I can't do the pastor smiley face when I'm really having a hard time. So y'all don't take offense. And plus, I got a stern face anyways. I've been telling y'all about this the last few weeks. Y'all know that. This is, this is another good thing. This is a side note. This is a good, good little side note here. But Isaiah 11 says that Jesus walked in the sevenfold spirit of God, which is the spirit of the Lord, which is Isaiah 61, the bondage breaker, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he does not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear, but his judgment is based off the fear of the Lord. So I heard Graham Cook say, I don't take my first opinion of people too seriously. Because typically, our first opinion is a soulish opinion. It's a fleshly opinion. Until we take a step back, it's like, God, who is that person? How do you see that person? That's also, that's how we honor people. We see them the way Jesus sees them. And he has value for every single person on this earth. So people fear that if they show weakness, others will shoot up before them. That's orphan thinking. If I show I'm weak, somebody else is going to get the job. If I show I'm weak, somebody else will get to be youth pastor. If, if I show I'm weak, I won't ever get to preach on Sunday mornings. That's how I used to think. <laughs> but I, I already told you I really have a hard time living that way because I just would end up confessing all my mess to my mentors who happened to be the pastors of the church I was at. Thank you, God. Scar tissue is stronger than normal skin tissue. So where God heals you, he actually makes that a strength, and he actually makes that a place where you wreak vengeance on the enemy. Isaiah 61 says, this is the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And then he goes into how he sets the captives free. He uh, releases the prisoners from darkness. He exchanges the, oil, the mourning for gladness, the oil of gladness. It's vengeance on the enemy. Jessica's dad was an alcoholic. She gets to set people free from addiction and, and help the children of addicts and even help the addicts themselves by saying, there's hope for your children. It's not too late because her, her dad surrendered her life, got sober in 1990, gave his life to Jesus, is an awesome man, great grandpa, great father, and it was because of Jesus. 
And he gets to take vengeance. I get to take vengeance on the enemy by helping people work on sexual purity. From 7 to 23, I was in porn, and then Jesus set me free. So I get to tell people, it starts with surrender, man. But I also just get to walk with people. Because not everybody's experience is exactly like mine, but I just get to, I get to call out who they truly are. It's like, you're not this guy. You're not this guy that you're not a whatever. This is how God says you're a warrior. And you're actually, you're going to cut off this giant's head and you're going to eat it. It's going to be your bread. So sonship, none of this is possible without God's people walking in a spirit of sonship. You can't do this. That's why even what we're, the organization that we want the awakening to walk in as we grow is a Holy Spirit thing. Because he's got to bring the right people for the right things. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't make that happen. Jesus was faithful as a son over God's house. And it said Moses, and that, I love that scripture, says Moses, who was a mighty man of God, said Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, but Jesus was faithful in all of God's house as a son. That's, it's the difference between the old and new covenant. There's sonship. We, don't, we not only get to be servants of God, we get to be sons. Jesus is king of kings, but yet he was a servant. Jesus was unoffendable, yet pursued justice. Jesus had his identity challenged by just about everyone from the devil to the Pharisees to even John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in prison. He knew he was about to die. He's just like, I want to make sure. <laughs> he had his moment of doubt, and he was called the greatest prophet of, among all the Old Testament prophets by Jesus. And he, but, but then Jesus said, but I tell you, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. And he was saying least, the, the least in the new covenant He's even greater than John. But John even had his moment of doubt. He's like, sent his disciples and said, I really need to know before I die. I don't want to die for a charlatan. Is he the Messiah? And Jesus said, tell John the Baptist this. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And so he had, Jesus had his identity challenged by just about everyone. So trust this. You will have your identity challenged. That's why you need to stand upon the rock of God's promises and his truth of what he's declared over your life, that you are a son, you are a daughter. Jesus promoted the Holy Spirit and empowered the disciples, and exponential increase was the result. I want to be like Jesus. I want to promote the Holy Spirit. I want to empower sons and daughters. And exponential increase will happen when I do that. So the new culture of increase, up is out. Okay? And a lot of the, my, my sermons is a guy named Paul Manwaring. Gleaned a lot of this stuff from his teachings because he's amazing. And so you want to like, 
listen to anything by him and you'll, you'll hear a lot of the same stuff. So the way to move up is to move out. So there's not, there's not the corporate ladder. If you want to move up in the Lord, you move out. You move out. And so promotion, when you break down that word, it just means forward motion. So you're not, it's not upward motion, it's forward motion. So it's not about moving up, uh-huh. It's about moving out. Come on. So the awakening core value number 12 is no victims. I am a powerful person who empowers others to be powerful. Say that. I am a powerful person who empowers others to be powerful. A lot of times we are wishing we were powerful people stepping on others to be powerful. <laughs> but I am a powerful person who empowers others to be powerful. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, self-control, self-power, empowerment in a nutshell. So a culture of empowerment is a culture of increase. Fathers promote, sons glorify. I also heard Graham Cook say one time, he says he tells all the guys he mentors, he says he hopes that they excel him in gifting, but not in character. He's like, I hope, he says, they're never going to, I'm never going to let them excel me in character. <laughs> you know, he's kind of half joking, but he says, but they can excel me in gifting all they want. That's what scares us, though, when we see somebody more gifted than us. That's when we start doing the, hey, hey. And you're kind of looking at each other like, oh, hey, we're nice to meet you. You're going same place. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. And then he kind of starts, he's like, yeah, hey, it's, yeah, it's nice, it's nice to meet you. And then, and then they get to and they're like, first, first. Because you got scared. You got scared that that person was going to take your inheritance, which cannot happen in Jesus. He's got more than enough. He's got more than enough. So we want to give you supernatural power. We want you to walk in supernatural power, the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, Faith, miracles, healing, signs, wonders, tongues. We want it all. And we want you to be activated in those things. I believe every believer has the ability to operate in those at any time, but I believe that there's certain things that we operate in more strongly than others. Okay? So, because you have the Holy Spirit. He's got it all. He can give you anything he wants anytime he needs. We have the power to be authentic. It's a place, it's a safe place, okay? We want to be a safe place. Power to be uniquely you. There's nobody else like you. And you need to know that. Power to be free from bondage. Power to not be hidden. Now, 
empowering women is a really big key to actually having a culture of increase. Women in the past, when they have been asked to lead or forced to lead, however the case may be, they've been asked to lead like men lead. That's, that was never God's intention. God wants women to lead like women. So in the corporate world and past, for a woman to be a CEO, she had to be hard. She had to be, get down to brass tacks. Maybe she couldn't nurture the way that she would want to, want to nurture. But there's power in the mothering heart. There's, and there's, it's not void of leadership. I married a lion. A lion. I didn't know I was marrying a lion. I told the Lord, dangerous prayer. I was like, Lord, you're going to have to give me somebody that can stand up to me. Because yeah. yeah. I'm big and I'm tough. I'm hard-headed. The Lord, what does Ephesians 3 says it. He says, he will do abundantly more than you, all you can ask, think, or imagine. I was, you know, I'm like, I'm married a lion. You know what? In, in the lion world, who does the hunting? The lioness. And so I, I, got, a, I got a lion on my hands. And I'm just trying not to tame her. Because there's times where I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like that. If I try to pull the reins, I've always told Jessica, like, because I, 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 can, I, I can be hard-headed and be like, all right, let's go. Let's go toe-to-toe, woman. In that moment, I'm just like, I'm ready to fight. But what I've realized is when I start doing that is that I'm trying to turn her into somebody she's not. And then I, Holy Spirit convicts me, and I'll tell her, I was like, honey, I'm sorry. I don't want a robot. I don't want another Travis with long hair, even though I'm growing mine out right now. But... I don't want another, I don't want a robot. I don't want another Travis. And so if I'm like, if I'm always like, no, do it this way. No, I don't like that. And Jessica loves me. So she's not going to, if I'm, if I'm bound and determined to be like that, she would probably change, try to do things different just because she loves me. But then that lioness is in a cage. And what, I know I, I speak most of the time, but this is truly a co-pastoring church. Truly. We co-pastor this church. And I'm thankful for it because Jessica is, I just, I love you. I love you, honey. So women were not meant to take a man's place. They're meant to take a woman's place. And there's a woman's place is in leadership. 
So when, when women lead as women, they care about the whole community. They think about how every decision affects the community and the next generation. Men tend not to think that way. I, I mean, there's been many times where we've been making decisions about the awakening, and Jessica's like, well, how's that going to affect this? I'm like, I don't know. I just like it. <laughs> and then she starts explaining how this decision is going to affect things. I'm like, okay. Yes, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. No, but it's good. We, I, I will see the wisdom in that. And then we can sometimes we chunk the decision or sometimes we, we combine it and make a different solution. Women think in terms of sustainability. When I make lunches for my kids, I don't have a system unless Jessica, she sets up the system. If I were, if I were making lunches for my kids every day, it would still be like, all right, I'm going to get some carrots. And I take them out on the counter. I fill everybody's box up with carrots. And then I go back and I get grapes. I go fill everybody's box up with grapes. And I go and I get the lunch meat. And I go... And Jessica's like, why don't you just grab all those at the same time? And I'm like, that's a great idea. <laughs> but that's when, you know, I'm, do you she's like, this is like much more efficient, much more sustainable. She has a system for what the kids' lunches are. We look at the calendar for the week and we write the initials over who's going to have lunch boxes that week. Every day, it would probably have been in the morning. Who's eating lunch? Wait. You know, and so my point is they, she, they think, women think in terms of sustainability. So they think, can we keep this going? What do we need for a revival that never ends? Women leading as women is a vital key to this culture of increase. So what I want us to do this morning is we're going to just pray that God just continue to increase the grace to access what's already on in, the inside of us in the Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship. Galatians 4, 5, it says that to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right? So this is the key. Without, like I said before, without sonship, where we're going is not possible. And so... We all, a prayer of ours needs to be like, God, just take me, take me deeper in sonship because we all have more to grow in. And he celebrates the progress. And we're going to de declare that God is giving the awakening for insight to increase in worship, evangelism, and discipleship. That's kind of the big three that covers everything. But I, so this, even preaching this series is a little, not awkward, but out of the ordinary for me because I've always been in the attitude wherever God gives me, that's fine. I'm just, I'm not going to try to make anything happen. I don't want to, I'm not going to try to build a big church. If that happens, that's great. If not, that's fine. I don't have any control over that. But I feel like what God has been speaking to me is like you need to prepare for harvest. Jessica grew up on a farm and when harvest time comes, there's a window of opportunity. And everybody in that community 
if they're harvesting hay at Bill Mathis's house, the next four neighbors down get their tractors and they're all in the hay field at the same time so that they can get it in before the rain gets it. So it's all hands on deck for the harvest. Jesus, when he told Peter, throw the nets on the other side of the boat and you'll catch fish, throw it out in the deep water. And Peter's like, man, we've been fishing all night, dude. Well, we'll do it. Such a harvest of fish came in that they had to call their friends. And then even all the boats that came in, they were started to sink for the great harvest of fish. And then that's when Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. That's what it's going to be like. And so we have to be prepared for that. And so I believe it's almost like a prophetic act as, hey, we're moving towards, we're getting ready for increase that God in whatever shape, way, or form it looks like is, is going to bring it. We can't make it happen. It's just what we feel like the Holy Spirit's doing. So I want you to stand up. So I just wanted to share one thing about the authenticity thing, which I do, which is a big value here at The Awakening. And so I just wanted to share, um, we have some people here that maybe have never been at The Awakening before. Um, some people may have been coming for a while, but um, one thing that I was feeling while Travis was talking about that is a lot of times we're not able to um, empower people because we really don't know where they are. And we may not know what normal is because we have a society that creates um, so much fear in regards to being yourself. And so if you've tried it before, if you've like tried to be authentic and tried to share where you are, maybe with a family member or a friend, and it was not a safe place, like it didn't turn out very well, like I just want to encourage you to try again and maybe try with somebody different. And if you try with someone in our family here at The Awakening and you realize this isn't safe, I want to give you full permission to say, you're not being safe for me. Because maybe they don't know they're not being safe. You know, like we're learning how to do this because it's kind of new. Like it's not like the normal. So, so. I'm just, I, I don't think it's important to tell everybody about all of your problems. Please don't do that because that's not very much fun for anybody. But you do need to have some people in your life that you can blow the trumpet to. And what I mean is, you know, when it's Friday morning and you're crying in your car in your work parking lot because you just don't think you can get it together for the day and you text about five of your friends and say, pray for me. I can't get it together. I can't find my joy. I did that on Friday. I just told my story, okay? I just couldn't get it together. I needed some help. But none of my people would have known that I needed help if I didn't tell them. No, I didn't tell all of y'all because I know some of y'all. I didn't text Lauren because she was throwing five parties and helping deliver a baby and hosting her entire family. I didn't blow the trumpet to Lauren, although I normally do. So I don't, you don't have to tell everybody, you know, but just pick a few people to be authentic with. And maybe you also, you can also share the positives. So celebrations, you know, be authentic with a few people. And it will grow to being authentic with everyone. But just try again. So I just feel like there are people in the room that have tried to be yourself before. And it wasn't safe. And I want to say to you, like, I'm sorry that happened. Like, I'm sorry that 
whoever it was didn't receive your heart. And if you can take a minute, even during our worship time, to, to just forgive those people that might have hurt your heart when you tried to be yourself and be where you were, and try again. Like, try to share the goods. And that way, when you're a little off, we know. Because sometimes we don't know someone's having a hard time because we don't know when they're having a good time. So just, um, it's really important in a family so that we can celebrate your progress, that we know what that looks like. We know what progress is because we really do want to celebrate you. Amen. So let's just declare this last part, that the, the awakening, God's giving the awakening insight. So just repeat it with me. God is giving the awakening insight for increase in worship, evangelism, and discipleship. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing here. But we say yes, Lord. It's, God's got plans to prosper all of us. All of our journeys are different. All the, the progress can look different. But this is about all of this. It all boils down to intimacy with the Father getting a revelation of God's heart for you. That's because you can't live off my encouragement all your life. My, my encouragement, your friend's encouragement, that's icing on the cake. But when God speaks to you, you're my beloved. You're the apple of my eye. That's what changes you. That's what changes you. And every one of you, permission granted to hear his voice permission granted to increase permission granted for freedom permission granted for breakthrough God is not opposing those things 